Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Father, Christmas is nearing, um, but your coming was once and final and complete once and for all. You saved sinners. You gave joy to the hopeless. You gave power and strength. And Father, you gave us daily sustained joy in you, Father. Because of the once and for all completed work of Jesus Christ, every single day of our lives have meaning and purpose, direction. Thank you for being the best thing that could ever happen to us. And so as we participate in the last theme of Advent, the theme of joy, would you make our joy complete, Father? We are your people. We are beloved by you. We have an identity that is founded upon the blood of Jesus Christ. May that be joy for us today. Holy Spirit, please work in our hearts. We need to hear your word. Please burst the bubbles of distraction, despair, disinterest. But may the Holy Spirit churn within our hearts a desire to know your word, to know who Jesus Christ is, and to know the completed ministry of his cross, that I would be blessed today to live for the Lord in full obedience. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the final Advent season of the theme of joy. Um, we, we live in a spiritual state, a very interesting spiritual state, where because our hearts are fallen and because of the sin of mankind, uh, the tragedy is that what we want is not what we should want. What gives us joy is not what should give us joy. And, and the tragedy of the human experience right now is that joy doesn't come from doing or getting what you want. Uh, when we think of joy, we often think of circumstances being given to us, um, uh, an upgrade in my living situations, and uh, a fulfillment of what I desire. But that is, that is not where joy comes from. Uh, in fact, I've heard that one of the worst ways to raise and educate your children is to do this. Let's say they disobey and you yell at them, do whatever you want. It makes a little more sense in Korean. And when we say that, apparently um, that causes the most amount of fear because the sheer amount of freedom that doesn't have their parents' blessing is a fear for them. Uh, it, it really uh, makes them afraid. You're supposed to give them good boundaries if they are to be happy and joyful. So in other words, obedience leads to 
joy. Not getting what you want because what we want is twisted, but obeying the Lord in what he wants leads to our ultimate joy. Amen? Then I see uh, pictures like this. Let's look at this one. Very interesting. Uh, It says, spread anarchy, and it says, don't tell me what to do. (laughs) I was meditating on this for Christmas. If you have any fun memes, uh, send them my way. Uh, at least a lot of theological conversation. <laughs> but think about this. I now understand why our world is so terrified and joyless, just like a child that has been told, do whatever you want. Terrified and joyless because we won't even listen to the word spread anarchy. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. We find our joy in, in, in the disobedience towards God and in seeking after my own flesh only to discover that it doesn't satisfy me. We have jumped into a godless world and we are doing whatever we want, seeing that it doesn't bring us joy and yet hoping that it still will. How do you bring joy to this kind of generation? My thesis is the same. Joy comes from obeying the right person for the right reason, for the right outcome. I'll read this again. Very important. Joy comes from obeying, not doing whatever you want, obeying the right person, not yourself, not the people around you, not an idea, the right person for the right reason, motivation, for the right outcome. That is only what will bring us joy. And scripture shows us that only one person has done this. Only one person has fully obeyed for the joy of himself and God, and that is Jesus Christ. Only he has accomplished joy by full obedience. Today, I want to invite you, come and see how perfectly he obeyed for your joy. Amen? Come and see. The whole series is come and see what Christ has done for your peace, for your hope, for your love, and for your joy today. Focusing on Christ will get you what we need. So let's see what Jesus has done. Today's passage, uh, we start at verse 13 and 14. Let's read it together. Actually, I'll read it for you. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, a very long hike, by the way, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? Uh, chapter 2 ends with the birth and the, uh, and the early worship of Jesus. Uh, his lineage, what happened to him, uh, what he came to accomplish, all those things. But now what happens is Jesus is now reappearing in the scene as a 30-year-old. It's been 30 years since the events of chapter 2, and now in chapter 3, Jesus has come as a full-grown adult. What happened in between? We don't know. And yet something important happens here. The first thing that he does, the first part of his ministry, is to be baptized to inaugurate his ministry of obedience. The first thing that he does. And every time we read this, we probably think to ourselves, Why was he baptized? That's interesting. That's quaint. And we ponder that question without an accurate theological answer, and we just pass by it. I want us to really understand why Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. We have to understand this. 
Now, Jesus is 30. This is his first official act. This will show what he would do, the direction he's going, and what he's trying to accomplish. It's the standard that he's going to set for the rest of his life for three years. What is it showing? Why, why is Jesus, what is he trying to show by getting baptized by John? John himself is very perplexed. If you read the language here, he is very, very perplexed. He's deeply troubled. I need to be baptized by you because he knows he's a sinner. But you come to me? Do you come to me? And it says here in the Greek, John kept on preventing him. It says, John would have prevented. That's an awkward way of translating it. John kept on saying, no, no, no. You will not get baptized by me. You will not get baptized by me. Something is really wrong in this picture. I mean, is John refusing to baptize Jesus because this is an honor-shame culture? And John is just trying to say, uh, I'm humble. You need to be better than me. And John is just not refusing to baptize him? Like, what's going on in this picture? In order to understand Jesus' ministry, what he came to do while he was being baptized, we have to know what John's baptism is. And it says all throughout, every time John's baptism is mentioned, it is connected to a baptism of repentance. Think about this, ponder this, okay? Lines of people publicly were going to the wilderness to be baptized by John of the Jordan River. And in chapter 3, verse 7, it says, When he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to the baptism, John yells at them, You brood of vipers! Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And he also says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I in the spirit and fire. He baptizes you. So this is really weird. John the Baptist is baptizing sinners to repent, to know Christ. But now the Christ is here, and he's trying to be baptized by John in a baptism of repentance. What is going on? Why is John so urgent in saying, you shall not be baptized by me? Because he's saying, look at all these people here. You are the lamb of God to forgive and save the world. And you're showing them that you are identifying as a sinner. What are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? The sinless Savior cannot be a sinner. Why is John saying no? Because it is untrue and scandalous that Jesus needs a baptism. He doesn't. He is the only one who didn't need to be baptized in repentance, and yet Jesus is asking for it. Why? The same question over and over. Why did Jesus ask to get baptized? You need to place your hands on your heart right now. This blesses you. Jesus came to become a sinner. He came to identify with sinners. I need to say this again. Jesus came to be sin for us. A lot of people ask, when did Jesus bear our sins? And we say, on the cross. No, 
From the beginning of his ministry, Jesus designed and prepared and proactively decided to become and bear sin for us as a sinner, though he was sinless. And that's why Christmas is so merry, that Jesus planned this from the start. His very first act was to be baptized, to be counted amongst sinners, that we would be counted as God's people. What a grace, what a mercy, what a savior that we have. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let's look at the screen and read this. For our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, Jesus, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God for our sake. When we ask, Jesus, why? Why were you baptized? His response is to be one with you and identify with you in your sin so that I may bear it. When we say, come and see how perfectly Jesus came to obey, what does his obedience accomplish? He bore our sins with his obedience. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Next, what did Jesus do? How did he obey so perfectly? Jesus obeyed to die as a sacrifice. Verse 15. I'll read this for us. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Okay, so this John who prepared all his life in his ministry, who was saying, no, 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 you cannot be baptized. It is theologically inaccurate. It is wrong. It is not ontologically correct. It is spiritually false. It is scandalous for you to be baptized by me. Finally, he heard the simple words of Jesus and he consented. Why did he consent? John the Baptist was a tough person. He was cursing at people because he knew that Christ was the Savior. And yet when Christ comes seemingly to compromise his ministry almost, why would John say, okay, I agree. I will submit. Why? Because Jesus says to fulfill all righteousness. What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? How can a sinner become righteous? The word fulfill here strongly points to and suggests that Jesus is aware of a secret mission that he alone came to do and to accomplish, which is to save sinners. That is the all righteousness of his mission that he came to fulfill, to save sinners. So we have to ask, how is a sinner saved? You need to know this in a flash. You need to be able to answer this in a flash in your mind right now. How are sinners saved? By the blood of an innocent lamb. Through the blood of a flawless offering. Only through blood is your forgiveness. Remember, Matthew was writing for the Jews. Uh, he was totally writing for a Jewish audience. That's why he talks about a Jewish lineage. He 
He talks about uh, the prophecies that are Old Testament-based to show how Jesus will fulfill them. He is writing to a Jewish audience. And so in the next verse, when it says, and the Spirit came like a dove, how would a Jewish person read that? When we read that, it's like, soap? I mean, uh, a dove coming? Like, what, what is that? Like chocolate or soap? Whatever. A Jewish person seeing a dove, the spirit come like a dove, the only image that comes to his mind is what? The poor man's guilt offering. The common person's guilt offering. If you were rich, you killed a calf. If you were in the middle class, you killed a lamb. And if you were poor, you killed a dove for forgiveness of sin. When a Jewish audience sees the Spirit come like a dove, what are they entranced by? They are saying, He is a sinless offering. He's a sinless offering. And so when Jesus uh, comes in this ministry, this points to the cross in an illusionary way. Jesus dying by going into the water and rising again to fulfill the righteousness that we could not obtain in our sin. To fulfill the righteous wrath of God, Jesus had to be a sacrifice. That was the nature and the mission of his obedience. He came as a sacrifice. He was, as they say, born to die so that man may no longer die. Born to die, that man would no longer die. And the question we have to ask is, why is this applying to us? What about Jesus makes him so special that his act of obedience and dying for us applies to all of us for the forgiveness of my sin 2,020 years later? Why does it apply to us? Romans 5.19 gives us a huge hint. For as through the one man's disobedience, this is talking about Adam here, many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the, of the one, Christ, that many will be made righteous. Amen. In other words, what are we talking about? The disobedience of Adam, whose name means mankind, Adam, mankind, corporately became our sin. He disobeyed, we all became sinners, and now we need a new champion. This second Adam, Jesus, through his obedience, now we receive corporate righteousness. Amen? We receive righteousness from a representative of the human race who is apart from Adam, who is sinless and different from Adam. In theological terms, we call this federal headship. Okay, let's imagine the World Cup right now. (laughs) And Messi scores. <laughs> oh, it, is someone looking at their phone? Is that, is that real? <laughs> Let's say Messi scores. Who celebrates? All of Argentina. Because he is a champion or a federal head of Argentina right now. He stands for them. Why did England groan when Kane missed a penalty? He stands for them. When David killed Goliath, why did Israel celebrate? Because he was their champion and he was a representative king. 
when we saw Adam, the champion of humanity, fall. Creation and humanity groaned because he missed the mark of perfect obedience. And we lost the chance of perfect joy and righteousness and peace with God and peace with man because he failed in his mission. Sin in Hebrew means mission failure. Sin in Greek means missing the mark. Adam missed the mark as the representative of mankind and all mankind groaned because he missed. And we suffer his consequences. The loss belongs to us. But now under the federal headship of Christ, because Christ is now our champion, if you believe in him and his completed work, his righteousness applies to you. Amen? That amen was not loud because many people think that they don't need alien righteousness. You're good enough. You're moral enough. You've looked down on people who are less moral than you. So you think you don't need an alien righteousness. But I tell you, in the face of God, we are beggars that are looking to be clothed with righteousness. We are naked in our sin. You do not know the depth of your fallenness. We need an alien righteousness. And when Christ, as the new human representative, gave us that, great should be our joy. He won the World Cup for us. Jesus won in a final showdown with death and sin and misery. He won. And he gave the victory to Believers in Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, right after this, right after Jesus is baptized, he is, what happens in chapter 4? Let's increase our biblical literacy. Chapter 4, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by Satan for his obedience. And so he is going as a representative commissioned by baptism to go into the wilderness to fight for humanity against Satan. And every time he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, we must say, hallelujah, he won for us. Don't test the Lord your God. Hallelujah, Jesus won for us. You shall not worship anyone but God. And serve him only. When Jesus said that, we must be saying, yes, hallelujah, amen, Jesus won for us. He's a representative now, if you believe in him. Every time, every time, every time I preach, I cry out, I plead with you, I reason with you, I argue with you, I groan with you, please believe in Jesus. He is your only hope for joy in an anarchy-filled world who cannot obtain any kind of joy. Jesus can only be, and Jesus is the only one who can give you joy. Accept him as your Lord. Believe in him, and he will be your champion. He will be your representative. All the fights that you need to fight, Jesus has fought and won. Because he has risen where we have fallen. His life, his death, his resurrection impact our status. First John 2.2. 2. 
He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means the satisfaction of the wrath of God. He satisfied the wrath of God against all evil in the world. And you know there's evil in the world. It says, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Because Jesus is our champion. He's our federal head. And so Jesus obeyed to die as a sacrifice so that all of us would be righteous in the face of God. No one else can do this. I'm afraid that you've heard this so often that it doesn't bring you joy anymore. But the only real joy that lasts is the joy of salvation. And you must know what Christ has done, the details of it, how deep it is, how theologically rich it is, how, how many promises are fulfilled in the Old Testament, how beautiful this is to understand your joy is indestructible. Your joy is indestructible. So often we live like people that have no joy. Your foundation for joy has always been placed on other things for your flesh that you often forget where your spiritual bank of joy is. It is safe in heaven with the salvation purchased by Jesus. Therefore, you can live this world as conquerors, according to Romans 8. You have been victorious in this life and the next, because of what Jesus has given you in his final victory. Which takes us to verse 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. You don't see this too often. It says the heavens were open, and who knows what happened happens when the heavens are open, but we see people falling on the ground and worshiping. We see people going crazy with prophecy. We see all these things happen when the heavens are opened. But in this case, we see the Spirit descending like a dove and coming to rest upon Jesus as the perfect sacrifice who bore the sins of man. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus' obedience is completed in pleasing the Father. Amen? He pleased the Father. He is the Son that God is well pleased with. Now, let's think about this. God is not just saying that I love Jesus because he's my Son and he's perfect. Because every father says that. This is a very technical pleasing that he is doing. This word is often used in the Septuagint. When people offer sacrifices and it pleases the Lord, the fragrance pleased the Lord. In other words, Jesus came down sinless to identify with sinners in order to prepare for a ministry of obedience unto the sacrifice of crucifixion. And God is saying, Jesus is the right sacrifice for this purpose. So it is pleasing. Remember, there are sacrifices that are not pleasing to the Lord. We see Adab and Abihu killed in the Old Testament for offering what we call inappropriate sacrifice. Inappropriate sacrifice. The purpose of the sacrifice has to go with the object of the sacrifice. And if you don't keep those, uh, those rituals and the ceremonial laws, then it is not pleasing to the Lord because it is an act of disobedience. What is, Jesus, what is God saying here? 
for the task and the purpose of this once and for all sacrifice for all humanity's sin, Jesus is perfect and thus he is pleasing. Do you understand that? For the purpose of saving all humanity, no one else can be a pleasing sacrifice because we are all blemished. We are all flawed. And when God examines Jesus as a sacrifice, God is saying, this is pleasing to me. He is the only one whose obedience can lead to our salvation and our forgiveness. There is no one else. There is no other name under heaven through which we must be saved. Because Jesus alone is pure and sinless and fully obedient, only the death of this God-man, this God-man would forgive sin, restore sinners, connect them to God the Father as children, to be reconciled forever into a life and eternity with God. Only Jesus' death would kill sin. Only Jesus' resurrection would destroy sin because he is unique. And who would say if your son who's perfect who is innocent, comes for the purpose of dying, how could that please a father? How could that please a father? And my heart rips to understand the father's heart. You know what pleases God? He rejoices when sinners are saved even at the expense of his son, the blood of his perfect son. Do you understand the father's heart in this? God is pleased because of the death of Jesus, because it leads to the reconciliation of all of God's children back unto him. How do I say this another way? I've said this in so many ways. God loves you again. I said this last week. I say this this week. God loves you. You please him. You being reconciled unto him pleases him. Even at the expense of his son, God is willing to say, this pleases me. Because he loves you so. Don't you love this God? Don't you love this Jesus? Isn't he wonderful? Who else would do this for us? We sang last week, how many kings would step down from their thrones? How many lords would abandon their homes? How many greats would become the least? How many gods would pour out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Only one did that for me. That was God. Jesus' obedience means three things for us today. Number one, God demands perfect obedience. I keep on reminding myself to bring a handkerchief. I keep on forgetting. 
God demands perfect obedience. That is the first thing that we have to understand from this. Because Christ is perfect, he lets you go. All of your imperfect obedience, all of your half-hearted obedience, all of your measuring and calculating and political obedience to get God to do what you want, that is forgiven because he asked for perfect obedience and Jesus gave it. Amen? He gave it. What is the perfect obedience that God wants us to have? Uh, There is a story that I remember. There was a pastor in our church who had four beautiful children. And one day, uh, you know, just like, I don't know if you saw the sound of music, the children all line up and uh, their dad was asking them, children, what is perfect obedience? (laughs) I was like, wow, this is pretty corny. (laughs) But in the corniness of it all, the children were saying biblical truths. They said, what is obedience? Obey now, obey joyfully, obey till the end. 지금 순종하라, 기쁨으로 순종하라, 끝까지 순종하라. Beautiful. (laughs) What this means is that, listen to this, late obedience is disobedience. Ouch. What this means is that unhappy obedience is disobedience. What this means is that partial obedience is disobedience. Late, unhappy, partial obedience. That's all of us. When have we last joyfully obeyed the Lord, even when it cost us so much for the pleasure of God and the righteousness of the people that I am amongst? That is impossible. The moment we try to be perfect in our obedience, that's the moment we fail. Yet what is our comfort despite our disobedience and despite the fact that God requires perfect obedience for salvation? What is our comfort still? The fact that my Savior obeyed. Not me. You will never obey perfectly. And there is a gutsy guilt to that. I can still be happy knowing I will sin tomorrow because Jesus paid it all. He cried out, Tetelestai, paid in full. You can leave Costco now because I've crossed the line out in your receipt. It's paid for. When Jesus died upon the cross, he's saying what? Your sins, especially your disobedience is covered, man. It's covered. I sinned yesterday. I sinned the day before that. (laughs) My heart is never perfect. And I know I should be trying harder. And I know that God would hate me if I just, if I wasn't covered by Christ. And I know, and I know, and I know, but I don't know if you believe me because my face is scrunched up all the time. I'm actually really happy. I'm a happy kind of person. I'm joyful. Why? Jesus has covered me. He's protected me. He's shielded me. His blood has shed on my behalf. He covers all of my life. The final sin I will commit before I draw my last breath has already been paid for. So you are free, brothers and sisters. I told this to my DT class. Jesus said, test celestai. But when I see the congregation, all of you walk in having a monthly payment plan. (laughs) You're still trying to pay it back. 
Catholicism, Buddhism, every other single religion in the world is on a payment plan because they know they're guilty. Everyone feels guilt and they devise different religions to pay it back to God. And this is the only one where God says, you're covered. It's paid. And you can live in the freedom of salvation and forgiveness. That is what I desire for my congregation. Full payment so that you don't have to live like a slave anymore. Amen? You are not slaves. You are beloved and restored children of God. Children of God. This takes us to the second point of the application. Jesus' obedience is unique. Unique. What does that mean? Only he could identify with sinners as a sinless person. So you can't do that. You can't obey like that. So don't worry. You don't have to. Only Jesus could die as a sacrifice. So you don't have to. We can't do that, nor should we. What are we called to imitate in Jesus' obedience? The joy of a child pleasing his father. That's the only thing about obedience that we have to think about now. When you're doing obedience, a lot of people try to say, this is my obedience. God, do something because I'm obedient. We're trying to get him to do things like to forgive us or to save us or to, to you know, satisfy my questions or to, you know, give me the life that I want. But when we obey now, it is not for the purpose of manipulating God. It is to respond to God's love for us because he is pleased with us already. I love the fact that I don't know exactly what your sins are right now for most of you. So I can say this without actually poking you too hard. But I can say this. Sinner. Sinner. You don't have to pay it back. You don't. You can't. And I can also say, sinner, do you know that God is pleased with you? God loves you is too common of a word. And I have to say it in so many different ways to help you get to a different understanding of God's love for you. God loves you. Yeah, that's a theological fact. I want to say it this way. God is tender-hearted towards you. He's really patient with you. He likes you so much. He wants to spend time with you. Did you know that? And he probably has your face on his refrigerator. He probably thinks of you so often because he is what? Pleased with you. And that's why you obey. Right? Obedience is not something you do to get your father to do something for you. Obedience is something you do for a father who's already done everything for you and is pleased with you anyway. Stop manipulating God. It doesn't work. Please the Lord because he loves you. And he will grant you the desires of your heart. That's a promise. That takes us to the final point. And I said it already. Obedience is meant for what? To control you? Like so many people say, religion controls the masses. Anarchy. No. Like if I told you, don't walk into the interstate or the freeways 
when there's, especially when there's a red light and that could kill you, and you say, no, I want to do what I want. Obedience to a God and a Father who loves you and knows your best leads to your flourishing and your joy. Obedience is for you. Obedience is for your joy. Obedience is for your satisfaction. Disobedience when you neglect and reject the God of life and joy and power and love and mercy deprives you of all that. So obedience is for your joy. That is a logical game I'm playing here. This is not emotions. This is a logical fact. If God is the source of your joy, rejecting him and disobeying, disobeying him will be bad for you. And I cry out to KCPC, obey the Lord for your joy. Amen. Why QT? It's not a task. It's not a burden. It's for your joy. Why evangelize? It's to share your joy and to receive joy. He knows the best for you. Psalm 16:11. Where does joy come from? This is the ultimate understanding, and we read it before. You make known to me the path of life, not death. Life. And in your presence, where? In his presence there is fullness of joy, where at his right hand there is pleasures forevermore. That's why we obey. Because obedience gets us joy. Not results, joy. A lot of people in, who are not Christian, when they give deep advice, they say things like this. Life is short, so enjoy it while you can. I want to tell you this. Eternity is long. Prepare for it while you can. How? When you enjoy it while you can and you run after your own desires, you understand that disobedience leads to displeasure and no joy. Then how do we prepare for eternal life with joy? How do you do that? Like, do you practice charity? Do you serve the church? Do you, you know, whatever you do to morally prove yourself to God, that's not the answer. Remember what the pastor's children said, obey now, obey joyfully, obey till the end. That is how you prepare for kingdom life. This pastor trained them well. Why? Because demanding obedience from your children is bad if you're a bad person. But if you're a good person who knows what's best for your children, demanding obedience for them is good because that trains them from a life of adulthood with joy. A life of adulthood, it prepares them for that. And I was thinking about that for a while. I was like, he trained them well. I'm looking at my own family. I'm like, I think my kids are training me. Like, they're reverse training me. <laughs> they're like, every morning, dad, give me an apple. Give me an apple. And like, you know, uh, remember like Pavlov's dog. <laughs> like, give me an apple. Give me an apple. And now like when they wake up in the morning, I'm like, hey, you want an apple? <laughs> let, me, let me take the seeds. You know? My children have trained me for a life with them. <laughs> In that sense. When God asks for your obedience, what is he saying? Let's live together forever. 
That's what it means. When God wants you to obey perfectly, he's saying, let's live together forever. Let's read this next uh, statement I want to share with you. Okay, uh, let's put it on the PowerPoint. It says, salvation is gifted to us through Jesus' obedience, but kingdom life and the joy that comes with it must be trained into us through our obedience. Do you get that? So Jesus' obedience is unique. He gets the salvation. He acquires the righteousness to get us into heaven. But how do we enjoy heaven? By knowing through obedience who God is. Oh, God seems to love holiness because he wants me to obey that. God seems to love um, unique, unique love for him. Not a shared love or a diluted love. And so you know who God the Father is. He wants a loving relationship with us. God loves this. God loves that. You understand that? How? By obedience. And those who do not obey do not know who they're going to live with forever in heaven. And so once again, I want to encourage you. Obey now. Obey joyfully. Obey till the end. Why? Because you're going to be living with God forever if you believe in Jesus. I started the sermon by stating the thesis that joy comes from obeying the right person for the right reason, for the right outcome. Only Jesus did this. He obeyed God the Father and not the world and Satan. He obeyed for the right reason, which was out of joy and obedience for the love of the world. And he acquired what outcome? The salvation of you and I. That was the only perfect obedience ever on record. So now, I'm changing the thesis. Joy doesn't come from obeying the right person for the right reason, for the right outcome. For us, joy comes from believing in Jesus who obeyed perfectly. Are you happy? Do you have joy? You can only get that if you believe in Jesus and the obedience he accomplished for you. I look at our church I'm always thinking, praying, dreaming, visualizing. I want our church to do something beautiful and wonderful and new. I want to see communities restored through this church. I want to see families reconciled through this church. I want to see institutions out there, hospitals and schools and jails, recovered by the gospel hope and recover from the postmodern fog. I promise you, though, this will not be done by the smart or the creative or by the driven. This kind of church will be done and fulfilled. This mission will be fulfilled by the obedient. Those who have come and seen how beautiful the perfection of Jesus' obedience was. My final invitation to you is to come and see. Luke 2.11. We're going to end with this. Uh, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Uh, in Latin, the word born is natus, uh, which comes from natalis, And that is where the French word Noel comes from. 
the English word also is Noel, which means a shout of joy. Most babies uh, cry when they're born. When Jesus was born, there was a shout of joy. Why is there joy in the humble birth of Jesus Christ? Why is Jesus' birth a shout of joy? Because finally, someone had been born into the world who would break the chain of disobedience and anarchy and finally obey God perfectly so that the sons and daughters of God would have righteousness, would have joy and peace everlasting with God their Father. And so come and see Christ. Come and see where he came from to receive hope. He came from a sinner's lineage and that gives sinners hope. Come and see what he came to do. He came to save us and that gives us peace. Come and see those he came to love and that will give you love as well. And finally, come and see how perfectly Jesus obeyed and you will receive joy. Amen. Let's greet three people saying Merry Christmas. Please turn to the person next to you. If the praising can come up, we're going to pray right now. Christmas is the best season of the year. And it's there's a fourfold reason that we're looking at right now because we have come to see who Jesus is in Christmas. So let's take this time to pray. Would you break your heart and tear your heart, understanding that Jesus came to bear my sin and no other child was born to die. This child was born to die for the purpose of dying. Would you graft that onto your own heart to grieve with God the Father and yet celebrate how that is pleasing to him because he desires for you and I to be restored unto him. So let's pray with thanksgiving, with joy, with peace, with love, with hope. And then we'll respond in praise. Let's pray. Father, what great of a hope, what great of a peace, what great of a love and what great of a joy that you have given us when we come to see who Jesus Christ is. Father, we pray for the congregation members here that they would understand what they are beholding in the manger. As they come to approach you, what are they seeing? Father, help them see what you see in your son, the perfect obedience of your son leading to the salvation of mankind. And may people respond by loving humility and loving obedience and loving what Jesus has come to do. Father, we adore your son. We cherish Jesus Christ. Even though the application might be very difficult for us today because the obedience of Jesus was so unique, we want to please you, Father, because you loved us so much. Free the slaves that are on a monthly payment plan, Father. Proclaim to them it is finished. Let their future and current sins drag them no longer if they trust in Jesus Christ. And may their simple, simple desire be to please you, Father, because that is what Jesus did and accomplished through his own obedience. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.